Father, we thank you because you are awesome. Father, we honor you for your love, your mercy, your kindness. We thank you, God, that you are not like us. You are loving, you are forgiving, you are good. Father, we thank you that you've given us purpose, that you made us for a reason. God, help us to honor the call that you have on each one of our lives. Help us to consider, God, our legacies. What did you make us to do? What did you make us to accomplish? Help me today as I humbly uh, speak the word you spoke to me for today. You have given me an assignment, God, and I'm so grateful. God, I pray, God, that someone in this room would, uh, would receive not just a good word, but a timely word, something for them. Let every person take something that they need in order to grow in love and maturity in you. Amen. But he needed that money for gas money for the whole entire week. And gas money was also a lot cheaper. <laughs> Five dollars could get you a long way. And so he told me, he says, son, I don't have the money to take you to McDonald's. But as a kid, I didn't understand the importance of gas money and making it to work. All I knew is that my dad had made me a promise. And luckily for me, he was a pastor. And I got him with this line. And I'm not going to say it in English because it sounds so much better in Creole. I'll interpret after. He would, say that, he would say this line to me all the time. Say, Moise, pastor, pa bai mati. You guys are probably, what is going on? Is he speaking in tongues? This is a Baptist church, no? No. So what, what, what he was saying there is, son, I'm a pastor. And pastors don't lie. And I said, Dad, didn't you say pastors don't lie? And so he, he looked at me and said, you know what, you're right. He took me to McDonald's. He spent about $3 on a Happy Meal. I had the time of my life. And he explained to the congregation that he had to go home, put $2 gas in his car. That would probably only get him to Wednesday. And then ask his friend Gene to give him a ride for the other two days. And he kept his promise. And his point was that you shouldn't lie. As Christians, we should honor our promises. See, what he did not realize is that his story, his example, would be passed down to me and my kids. Except when my kids were born, I wasn't a pastor. I'm still not officially a pastor. But I came up with my own version of Pastor Pabai Mati. And it goes like this Daddy always keeps his promise. You see, just like my dad's story impacted me, and then now it's impacting the next generation as I'm an example to my kids, your story has gener generational impact. 
You see, next month, my dad will celebrate his 83rd birthday, and as his son, I've had a ringside seat to his stories. And as with every father and son, his stories become my stories. His choices influence my choices. His decisions influences the decisions and quality of my life. I'm telling you all this because private decisions have public implications. Personal decisions will impact some other person. So I want to ask you, what story do you want to tell? What story do you want told about you? Our private decisions don't just stay private. They will impact others. Once our story becomes their story, it is their story to tell. So what story do you want to tell? What story do you want told about you? I say it again. Every decision you make has an outcome, a consequence, a result. So what will your story include? Maybe you were tired of waiting on God, so you rushed into a job or investment. You ignored the red flags and warning signs only to find out it was a scam and you lost thousands of dollars. So now part of your story is that you let your family down because you rushed in a season that God called you to wait. You were at work and he was cute. You knew he was not saved and also married, but you loved the attention and it felt right. And now part of your story is that you wasted two years of your life dating someone you knew was not right for you from the start. And you contributed to a broken home. You came to church every Sunday, but you never opened up to anyone about your besetting sin and addictions. And now part of your story is that you drove away your friends and family because you did not seek help. A much better story is that you overcame the shame and lies from the enemy and told your story to a trusted elder or pastor who prayed with you through this dark season of your life. A friend asks you to lie for them on a job reference at your company, and it turns out that your, the company you work for finds out and fires you and your friend. And now part of your story is that you are labeled a liar and untrustworthy. A much better story is that you would rather lose a lifelong friend than lose your integrity. Decision by decision, you are writing the story of your life. So you owe it to yourself to pause and ask what story I want to tell. And does it align with God's purposes and will for my life? Man, some of the best advice I ever got was when I was a teenager in college, I heard of my pastor preach and he said, the most spiritual best advice for a Christian sometimes is to take a nap. And when he said that, it doesn't sound very spiritual but how haven't you ever done or said something and you woke up the next morning and you said, what in the world? Why did I say that? You see, when we're stuck with decisions under pressure, we get caught up in something called uh, focalism. We, we, we get caught up in the emotion of the moment. And instead of thinking about uh, uh, our stories, we think about, consequences. 
and we use that pressure to make a quick decisions. Sometimes the best thing you can do as a Christian is pause and consider and ask yourself the question, what story do I want to tell? To walk away from the purpose and call that God placed on your life? What story will be told about you in your prisons? Well, Joseph thought he caught a lucky break. There was a cupbearer and a baker that Pharaoh had sent to prison because they had offended him. And one day, the cupbearer and baker were cellmates with Joseph, and they had a dream. And Joseph told them that all dreams uh, belong to God, and he had, because of his relationship with God, he could interpret their dream. So Joseph interprets the cupbearer's dream, and we're going to see what he says in Genesis 40, verse 12. This is what the dream means. He's talking to the baker first. Uh, there are three branches that represents three days, and within three days, Pharaoh will lift, up, lift you up and restore you to your position as his chief cupbearer. Sorry, he's talking to the cupbearer first. And please, this is what he, this, this kind of shows you that Joseph was human, right? He wasn't happy in that prison. He wanted out. This is what he says to the cupbearer. And please remember me and do me a favor. When things go well for you, Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place. For I was kidnapped from my hometown, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison. But I did nothing, nothing to deserve it. Then, after the cupbearer got such amazing interpretations from his dream, uh, the baker said, ha, ha, ha. I wonder what my dream is going to be. It's probably going to be much better than yours. So when the chief baker saw that Joseph had given the first dream such positive interpretation, he said to Joseph, I had a dream too. In my dream, there were three baskets. Verse 17, the top basket contained all kinds of pastries. And this is what, verse 18, this is what Joseph says. This is what the dream means. Joseph told them, the three baskets also represents three days. Three days from now, Pharaoh will lift you up and impale your body on a pole. Then birds will come and peck away your flesh. A couple of days later, Pharaoh's birthday came, and exactly all that Joseph had predicted came true. The cupbearer was restored. The baker was impaled. And Joseph was probably getting his bag packed like, yeah, the baker's going to remember me. Then one of the saddest verses in all the Bible, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. 
I don't know how much this guy could take. Two years. Two years, additional years in prison under pressure. He must have felt abandoned, forgotten, discouraged, unloved. But he did not allow the prison to keep him from his purpose. Genesis 40, 29, it was, uh, oh, nope, you covered that. So Joseph, after he is finally, two years later, Pharaoh has a dream, and he is perplexed by this dream. It's a horrible dream, and Pharaoh wants to know what the dream means, and he happens to tell his cupbearer, and no one could figure out the meaning of the dream. Pharaoh, uh, the cupbearer, tells Pharaoh, hey, I know this guy. Remember that time where, you know, you sent me to prison for a couple of days? And um, uh, I met this guy down there who interpreted my dream, and everything he said came true. So Pharaoh says, bring this gentleman to me at once. And uh, Genesis 40, 29. 40, 29. No, there's no 29 and 40. Let's go back a little. And he responds to Pharaoh after Pharaoh tells him the dream, and this is what he says. The next seven years will be a period of great prosperity throughout the land of Egypt. But afterwards, there will be seven years of famine so great that all the prosperity will be forgotten in Egypt. Famine will destroy the land. This famine will be so severe that even the memory of the good years will be erased. As for having... So, so Joseph begins to interpret Pharaoh's dream. And he did the unthinkable. He, after interprets the dream, starts to give Pharaoh... Advice. I mean, the guy was a slave, then thrown in prison, speaking to the king of Egypt. And he starts to say, for the first seven years, you need to do everything you can to collect the grain that you have and store it up. Begin to store up the grain in different places for the next seven years of famine. It's very similar to the, the big a dot-com boom that we had, followed by the great recession that we had. And Joseph begins to give Pharaoh advice. One of my favorite verses in the Bible says, God will use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And so he begins to give 
Pharaoh advice. And Pharaoh says, man, is there anyone in all of Egypt who is wiser than this guy, Joseph? And at that moment, I wonder what it felt like to be Joseph, to realize that he could stand before the king and have no compromise in his story. I mean, everyone could vouch for him. The baker could vouch for him when he was in prison. Potiphar could vouch for him when he ran his whole entire household. The pit could not keep him from his purpose. And all this moment culminates with Joseph becoming the hero and saving the day. He became the second most powerful person in all of Egypt. You see, when we make decisions under pressure that honor God, God honors us. We should strive to tell the stories that aligns with the purpose and call of God on our life. We should decide in advance, before the pressure comes, what story do I want to tell? What story do I want told about me? Joseph has finally one more opportunity to tell his story, but this time he wasn't under pressure. The, but that pressure, actually he was under pressure, but the pressure he was facing was not one of external forces. It was mental pressure. Imagine seven years comes, they store up all the grain, he becomes the second most powerful person in all of Egypt. And now his brothers, which were in another country, they travel to Egypt, unknowing whatever happened to, their, to Joseph. And they go and they go and they try to find grain because there's a famine everywhere. Joseph just happens to be walking by the storehouse where his brothers went to ask for grain. They did not recognize him, but he recognized them. Imagine that moment where, where he had the power to determine the fate of his enemies. He had the army behind him, and some people might say he even had the right to impose revenge on them. You see, Joseph, what do you do when you have the power to decide what happens to your enemy? What do you decide in a moment like that? The answer is that it depends on the story that you want to tell. Joseph's response to his brothers reminds us that unpleasant circumstances create unprecedented, eye-popping, attention-getting opportunities. You see, Joseph, instead of enacting revenge on his brothers, he responded in love and forgiveness. He gave them double and triple the grain that they needed to take care of them and their family. The Bible says that he got so emotional, he kicked out everybody that was in the room except his brothers. And he looked at them and he says, I am Joseph. You see, when you decide 
what everyone expects you to do, no one notices. But when you decide against the norm, your story stands out. When you decide against the norm, your story stands out. Joseph did not compromise his story. And that's why we're still telling it to this day. You see, the pain of hurt could not keep Joseph from his purpose. Bow your heads with me as I pray. Father, we want to submit to you the last two years. All the decisions we made under pressure. All the moments, God, that we did not make decisions, including me, that align with your call for our lives. All the moments that we chose to complain and allow the captivity of quarantine to compromise our character and our call. God, we repent as a church. We repent as a church. And we ask, God, that you would forgive us for thinking that everything is supposed to be okay all the time. God, we thank you that you have not abandoned us in the midst of our pressure moments, but that you love us enough to take us through. Help us to learn to make good decisions when pressure comes so that we can be a benefit to ourselves and generations to come. Amen.